Spring, is that you? Warmer temps mean new Albert styles. Meet the new Superlight Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. These must-have travel shoes have a lighter-than-air feel and barely-there fit that made them the most packable shoes ever. Plus, they're comfy right out of the box. That means more comfort and less baggage. Experience how Allbirds is redefining comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com, code SUPER24. This week on Viewpoints. Texting, tweeting, gambling, sugar, shopping, you name it. Everything has been drugified today, making us all hooked and not wanting to stop. It seems like addictive tendencies are lurking in every corner these days. Then. I've really been lucky to not care so much about the repercussions of being myself. We talk about the power of confidence with ballerino James Whiteside. I'm Marty Peterson. And I'm Gary Price. These stories in depth this week on your public affairs magazine, Viewpoints. It's the Home and Auto Bundle Extrava Festa Save-A-Thon, the annual year-long event where you could save big by bundling Home and Auto with Progressive. So big that we're kicking things off with fireworks! A monster truck battle! A fighter jet flyover! And it wouldn't be a party without the Home and Auto Bundle Extrava Festa Save-A-Thon dancers! You can't really hear them, but trust us, they are working it. So come for the fun and stay for the savings. Only at Progressive's Home and Auto Bundle Extrava Festa Save-A-Thon! Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Discounts not available in all states or situations. Get in zone, AutoZone. Welcome to AutoZone. What are you working on today? So you've got an oil change coming up? We can help you get started. Right now you can get five quarts of Castrol GTX and an STP oil filter, plus an STP air filter or cabin air filter for just $34.99. And you can get it all fast, your way. Just order online with our free same-day store pickup or next-day delivery. Get in zone, AutoZone. Start your job today at AutoZone.com. Restrictions apply. How many times a day do you stop what you're doing to check your phone? Or take what was supposed to be a minute-long break, but ends up being 20, to scroll through Facebook? What some may see as a way to decompress or stay on top of things may actually be lowering productivity and overall happiness. And it's a widespread issue. 85% of Americans today own a smartphone, according to Pew Research Center. This number is even higher at 96% in young people between 18 and 29 years old. The rise of smart devices has given way to endless information at our fingertips, but at what cost? Dr. Anna Lemke argues that this addiction to our smartphones and other devices is severely affecting happiness. Lemke is a professor and the medical director of addiction medicine at Stanford University School of Medicine. She's also the author of Dopamine Nation, Finding Balance in the Age of Indulgence. She says like any other addiction, it's hard for people to pull away. Texting, tweeting, gaming, gambling, sugar, shopping, social media posts, you name it. Everything has been drugified today, making us all hooked and not wanting to stop, 
even when we want to stop. And that's sort of the mysterious process of dopamine is that it really has to do more with wanting and with motivation rather than with actual experiencing pleasure. We can be motivated to do something even when we don't really want to do that thing or like doing that thing. And I think most people can relate to that with digital products and with their smartphones when we find ourselves clicking repeatedly and repeatedly, even though we're not that interested anymore, but we just can't stop because we're afraid of that feeling of falling away when we do. Limke explains that this strong urge is the result of a dopamine-deficient state. Dopamine, simply put, is a chemical in the brain that's tied to pleasure, motivation, and reward. When we have too much of a good thing, it throws off this fragile balance. One of the most interesting findings in neuroscience in the last 75 years is that pleasure and pain are co-located, by which I mean that the same parts of the brain that process pleasure also process pain, and they work like a balance. So if I eat a piece of chocolate, my balance tips slightly to the side of pleasure, and a little bit of dopamine is released in my brain's reward pathway. But one of the overarching rules governing this balance is that it wants to remain level. It doesn't want to be tipped for very long to the side of pleasure or the side of pain. So no sooner have I eaten that piece of chocolate than my brain will work very hard to downregulate my own dopamine transmission and my own dopamine receptors. And it does this by tilting the balance an equal and opposite amount to the side of pain. And that's that moment of wanting a second piece of chocolate. Now, if I wait long enough then the balance is restored and that impulse goes away. But if I don't wait and I continue to eat chocolate repeatedly, what happens is that I end up with so much weight, or in the book I talk about gremlins hopping on the pain side of the balance, that I essentially change my set point for experiencing pleasure and pain such that it's harder and harder for me to get pleasure from chocolate or anything else. Many addicts start off using a substance or taking part in a behavior for pleasure or to solve a problem, but eventually continue doing so just to maintain some sense of normalcy. These days, Lemke says millions of Americans are dealing with varying levels of addiction because these pleasures seem to be just about everywhere. Even just two generations ago, it would be very unusual for a person to get addicted unless they had some of the typical risk factors for addiction. Risk factors include things like a biological parent or grandparent with addiction, childhood trauma, severe socioeconomic distress or social dislocation. But today, your life can basically be perfect and you can still get addicted. Why? Because we have so many dopaminergic substances and behaviors out there that are not just available to us, but that are actually following us around. So we get triggered all the time because these algorithms know what we like, know what we've clicked on before, and basically offer it up to us on a platter, even when we're trying to abstain or don't want to do that activity. Screens are in our pockets, in our living rooms, part of our work. And this makes us more vulnerable to feeling like we can't be without them. Yet in many ways, these constant interruptions are setting us back. If you're constantly reacting to your environment, you can't sort of be mentally still long enough to have an idea or to, you know, gestate or experience or gestate or process an experience you just had. I'm often amazed at when I will sit down to try to do some more creative work, you know, not three minutes into it, 
I'm wanting to check my email, right? I, I'm just, it's like I'm interrupting, I get to a sort of a point of friction where I'm, I don't know quite what the answer is, or I have some anxiety because I'm not certain where the project is going to go. And so instead of letting myself just sit with it and tolerate it, I want to distract myself by checking my email or checking my device. And that's a real trap because when we do that, you know, we're, we're just not able, again, to get through that distressing moment and come out the other side with a continuous thought. And there are ways we can combat this. It's important to remember that addiction is not black and white. There are varying levels, and the first step is to identify that there's a problem. But in some ways, it's harder to pinpoint that you're hooked to a device because it's so socially acceptable to be connected 24-7. As soon as we put our phone away or try to abstain for a period of time, we essentially experience the universal symptoms of withdrawal from any addictive substance, anxiety, irritability, insomnia, depression, craving. And then we kind of tell ourselves, well, it's not that big a deal. You know, um, I need it for my work. I need it to be connected to my kids. Who really cares if I use the phone again? And what I want to get people to see is that it really does impact their well-being. To test this dependence on devices, Lemke encourages people to lock away their phones for a set period of time, like a day or a full weekend, and take note of how they feel. When we abstain initially, what we'll experience is a lot of rationalizations in our minds for why it's so important for us to use again. And that's exactly what happens to people addicted to alcohol or drugs, all kinds of rationalizations why it's okay to use the drug again. But if we wait long enough and allow homeostasis to be restored, what we find is that we're not thinking that way anymore about the phone. We're more free to have other thoughts and engage in other activities, and we get away from that compulsive loop. Once we get away from the compulsive loop, then we're really able to look back and see true cause and effect, and then we're motivated. So we almost have to do abstinence in order to get motivated to moderate our use. This break in the everyday cycle can be a breath of fresh air. Lemke has seen firsthand the renewed freedom people feel when they step back from their screens and live more in the present. The reality is that technology is a part of life these days, but it's possible to set strict boundaries and live within them. Everybody's familiar with intermittent fasting with food, where you eat all of your food in an eight-hour period and you fast for a 16-hour period. I try to do that with Wi-Fi and with being online and consolidate the time that I'm online to a very condensed amount and then make sure that after that I turn it off and I don't go back on because otherwise we get into this kind of like chronic sedentary checking which is really not good for us and for our brains. Lemke says that it can be difficult at first to be without your phone for even an hour or two. One helpful way to put the stimuli out of sight is to lock it away or hand it over to someone else. In my book I talk about three basic categories of self-binding. They are literal geographic barriers that we put between ourselves and our drug of choice. And that would be, for example, locking your phone in the kitchen safe or at least putting it in a drawer at certain points in the day or the night. There are also chronological self-binding strategies, so where you say, I'm only going to use at certain times of the day or on certain days of the week. And then finally, categorical. That's where you try to avoid super potent forms. So for me, for example, I try really hard not to watch YouTube videos of Dr. Pimple Popper because once I watch one, I cannot help myself. I have to watch 20 more, and I can't explain it to you, but that's true for me, so I have to avoid those potent formulations. It can be all too easy to become dependent on a device. 
Soon enough, it feels like you're missing out if you're not checking it several times a day. But what's the true cost of this habit? The next time you're scrolling through social media or browsing the apps on your phone, think about if this pastime has turned into a problem. For more information on this topic, check out Dr. Anna Lemke's new book, Dopamine Nation, Finding Balance in the Age of Indulgence, available online and in bookstores. To find out more about addictions and links to resources, visit viewpointsradio.org. This segment was written and produced by Amira Zaveri. I'm Gary Price. Coming up, we have a candid conversation with a principal dancer of the American Ballet Theater when Viewpoints returns. Cardiovascular or CV disease is the number one killer of adults in the U.S. And millions of people trying to reduce their risk of a heart attack or stroke may unknowingly be taking medications that are not proven, nor FDA approved to reduce cardiovascular risk. Let's hear from cardiologist Dr. John Osborne. Many people are unaware that after a failed outcome study, the FDA revoked the approval of phenofibrates when added to statins, as the risk outweighed the benefits to heart health. It's important to remember that statins, along with diet and exercise, can lower cardiovascular risk by about 25 to 35 percent. But persistent cardiovascular risk, which can lead to a life-threatening event, may remain. I would tell anyone still being prescribed phenofibrates, such as Tricor and Trilipics, with a statin to talk to their doctor about FDA-approved therapies for cardiovascular risk reduction. To learn more and get clear on the facts, visit itscleartomenow.com. Again, that's itscleartomenow.com. You take steps to stay healthy when at the pharmacy picking up vitamins or filling a prescription. May I help you? Take another healthy step right now and ask the pharmacist how Prevnar 13 can help protect you from pneumococcal pneumonia, a potentially serious bacterial lung disease. If you're 65 or older, a trip to the pharmacy is a lot more pleasant than a trip to the hospital because of pneumococcal pneumonia. Help protect yourself with the Prevnar 13 pneumococcal 13-valent conjugate vaccine, diphtheria CRM197 protein. Prevnar 13 is approved for adults to help prevent infections from 13 strains of the bacteria that cause pneumococcal pneumonia. Prevnar 13 does not protect against all strains of the disease. Stop by the pharmacy today and ask about Prevnar 13. Learn more at Prevnar13.com. Don't get Prevnar 13 if you have had a severe allergic reaction to the vaccine or its ingredients. Adults with a weakened immune system may have a lower response to the vaccine. The most commonly reported side effect was pain at the injection site. For additional common side effects and full prescribing information, please call 1-866-694-9300 or visit Prevnar13.com. Ever let loose and try to tap into your artistic side? Some people dance, sing, or write stories in their free time. But James Whiteside tries it all. In fact, he's made a career out of it. He's a principal dancer at the American Ballet Theater and author of the new book, Center Center, a funny, sexy, sad, almost memoir of a boy in ballet. When the pandemic forced an end to live audiences in theaters, it also put many dancers' careers on pause. Whiteside remembered scrambling to adjust and find a new focus after all of his performances were abruptly canceled last year. The pandemic was a really, unfortunately, a really good opportunity for me to just sit down with my computer and tell a couple stories. I couldn't perform. All the theaters were closed. All our tours were canceled with American Ballet Theater. And I just, I knew I had some experiences that I'd like to share. 
Jumping from the stage to a writer's desk might seem daunting for most, but for Whiteside, it felt like a natural transition and a new stage to tell his story. I think performance and writing have a lot in common. It takes a lot of courage to express yourself in an honest way. And being a ballet dancer, it takes a long time to get to a place where you're, you're just super confident. You go out on stage and you really just are yourself and you're believing in what you're doing and you're telling the story. Throughout the pandemic, many performers found creative ways to keep telling their stories and sharing their craft. One alternative for Whiteside was teaching virtual ballet classes with fellow performer and best friend Isabella Boylston, who's also a principal dancer at the American Ballet Theater. The pair live-streamed lessons on Instagram and raised thousands to support nonprofit organizations like the American Cancer Society and the Trevor Project, which supports LGBTQ youth. We would do it to pop music, and every Friday we would have a theme. It was just like pure fun. So the pandemic took a lot of my regular life away, and we made it work. You know, I'm an artist, and I feel very strongly about expressing myself in whatever way I feel. And whether it is music, whether it is drag, whether it's Instagram live ballet classes with silly themes or writing a book, I'm willing to try. And that does feel really good. Before the pandemic, Whiteside spent decades dancing his way to the top of his field. How did he get there? He says it took discipline, perseverance, and blocking out the critics who believed he didn't fit the mold of a typical male ballet dancer. Instead, he surrounded himself with people who cheered him on. I grew up in, you know, the 80s and 90s, and I feel like I was on the cusp of the sort of, I don't know, youth that could feel really comfortable growing up gay in America. And I have felt that support for my whole life, and it's given me a lot of confidence in expressing myself and just like being myself at all times without too much fear of retribution or persecution. And uh, it's sort of bled over into my various creative outlets, whether it be music or drag or writing or even ballet, you know, I've really been lucky to not care so much about the repercussions of being myself. Whiteside found part of himself when he began his dance career in elementary school. He remembers his mom pushing him to try another hobby after several didn't stick. He settled on ballet. One day, my mom threw me a phone book and she said, you have to pick something. You're driving me crazy. Flip through there, find an activity. I don't care what it is. Pick something. And I found an ad for a dance studio. And uh, that was that. She brought me and I took my first class and I was obsessed immediately. And it's been since I was nine years old, I'm 37 now, and it's been a heavenly journey. Similar childhood memories fill the pages of his book. By sharing his story, he hopes to inspire others to follow their passions and not care so much about what people think. Do what you enjoy, even if it doesn't fit the status quo. I want them to be emboldened to express themselves. And I hope I really hope they laugh. I really hope they feel something. I hope they call their families and tell them that they love them. I want it to be a very round human experience while reading my book and something that leaves them feeling 
comfortable with who they are. Of course, building the confidence of an elite performer doesn't happen overnight. Whiteside shares some advice for those struggling to find this courage and make their dreams a reality. I feel very, very strongly that I would much rather make something that nobody cares about than not make it at all. It's important to me to just try. And so what I would say to those young people is you're in charge of your own interests and you have the strength to withstand any ridicule. You can literally do whatever you want, whatever interests you without fear of ridicule, because hopefully there will be someone in your life to support you. And if there isn't, then perhaps you've got the wrong people in your life. Not everybody has the luxury of having the right people in their lives. So I think finding people who support you and your interests and your passions and your modes of expression is really important. And uh, keep looking because there will be people out there who support you. For Whiteside, his inner circle will be supporting him this October as he makes his debut back on the ABT stage. In fact, he's already counting down the days. What I'm looking forward to most is feeling an audience again. That exchange of energy between audience and performer is so valuable to me. It like actually gives me energy and life and I don't know, just sort of fills me up with the spirit, the Holy Spirit. Uh, it's, it's so much fun, simply put. And the whole experience, the ritual of getting ready and listening to music and doing my makeup and warming up, getting into costume, getting in the zone. It's all part of this wild ritual that I, I miss so much. And I think the ephemeral nature of ballet is really exciting. You get in there, the audience is packed in there and they're waiting to see something that nobody else can see at that moment. It's their private experience. And I think that's incredibly special. You can learn more about James Whiteside's role at the American Ballet Theater by visiting abt.org. Also check out his new book, Center Center, available online and in bookstores. You can also find archives of past shows and guests at viewpointsradio.org. For more behind the scenes, search Viewpoints Radio on Twitter and Facebook. Our writer this week is Scarlett O'Hara. Our executive producer is Amira Zaveri. Studio production by Jason Dickey. I'm Marty Peterson. Viewpoints returns in just a moment. What are you going to do with your old car? You can try selling it, you could junk it, or you can donate it to Heritage for the Blind. Your car will be towed away for free and your donation is tax deductible. Just call 1-800-835-1478. Heritage for the Blind accepts cars, vans, trucks, and boats. It doesn't matter if your vehicle runs or not. It will be towed away for free and you'll be supporting those that need help. Heritage for the Blind is a nonprofit organization that helps the visually impaired live fuller lives. Call right now to donate your car, and as a special thank you, you'll receive a free three-day vacation voucher to over 50 locations. Call Heritage for the Blind right now. Call 1-800-835-1478. Donating is easy, and your vehicle is towed away for free. Plus, you'll get a free vacation voucher for donating. Call now, 1-800-835-1478. That's 1-800-835-1478.
Welcome to Culture Crash, where we examine what's new and old in entertainment. For centuries, art has been iterative. Mary Shelley wrote Frankenstein in 1818, and it was made into a play in 1927, which became a film in 1931, which became, you know, a bunch of other films in Halloween costumes. When Kanye West was first beginning his solo career, he did it largely on the back of his incredible beats and samples, which were using a huge array of soul and funk classics. It's just how art has always seemed to work. Someone writes something, and that inspires another person to write something else. Quentin Tarantino was obsessed with movies, so he made movies that mash all of those influences together. Elvis Presley and Kurt Cobain did it as well. Everyone seems to have been inspired by the Beatles, who themselves were inspired by Buddy Holly and Little Richard. But lately, that legacy has been overwhelmed by a rash of lawsuits and settlements. The Marvin Gaye estate successfully sued Robin Thicke and Pharrell for using elements of Gaye's music in the hit Blurred Lines. In the aftermath, the likes of Katy Perry and even Led Zeppelin have had to win in court over challenges alleging plagiarism. Even in those cases, the trials could be expensive and embarrassing, so the newest trend is to just settle out of court and split songwriting credits. Bruno Mars and Mark Ronson have had to add credits to Uptown Funk to avoid potential lawsuits, and more recently, teen superstar Olivia Rodrigo added songwriting credits to Taylor Swift and Jack Antonoff, as well as Haley Williams of Paramore and the band's former guitarist, Josh Farrow. And I get it. I certainly want artists credited for their work, and I'm a huge fan of Paramore, Taylor Swift, and Jack Antonoff. But it strikes me that we're on a dangerous path. There are only so many sounds. There are only so many chord progressions and melodies. Art has always been iterative. It just hasn't always been so litigious. And none of these examples seem like actual theft to me. They feel more like inspiration. Again, only to my untrained ear. Now, these artists may be well within their rights to file lawsuits, demand co-writing credits, and seek royalties, but that doesn't necessarily make it feel any better to the fans. At the end of the day, artists form a community that is constantly giving and taking inspiration. I wish parodies, homage, and inspiration could be celebrated and not beaten to a pulp. Elvis Costello was recently notified on Twitter that Rodrigo also seemed to have borrowed a guitar riff from his song Pump It Up. Costello responded by saying, It's how rock and roll works. You take broken pieces of another thrill and make a brand new toy. That's what I did. I just wish more artists and artists' estates could acknowledge that fact, too. I'm Evan Rook. I'm looking forward to a play date with my granddaughter. Nana! <laughs> I can't wait to get together with my friends for a backyard barbecue. If you're 65 or older, you're starting to get back to doing things you love. Did you know even healthy adults 65 and older are at increased risk for pneumococcal pneumonia? It's a potentially serious bacterial lung disease that can disrupt your life for weeks. 
Help protect yourself with the Prevnar 13 pneumococcal 13 valent conjugate vaccine, diphtheria CRM197 protein. Prevnar 13 is approved for adults to help prevent infections from 13 strains of the bacteria that cause pneumococcal pneumonia. Prevnar 13 does not protect against all strains of the disease. Ask your doctor or pharmacist today about Prevnar 13. Learn more at Prevnar13.com. Don't get Prevnar 13 if you have had a severe allergic reaction to the vaccine or its ingredients. Adults with a weakened immune system may have a lower response to the vaccine. The most commonly reported side effect was pain at the injection site. For additional common side effects and full prescribing information, please call 1-866-694-9300 or visit Prevnar13.com. That's Viewpoints for this week. Viewpoints is a production of MediaTrax Communications. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram to learn more about upcoming shows. And find a library of past programs on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Spotify. Plus, you'll always find previous segments and more information about our guests at viewpointsradio.org. Join us again next week for another edition of Viewpoints. Spring, is that you? Warmer temps mean new Albert styles. Meet the new Superlight Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. These must-have travel shoes have a lighter-than-air feel and barely-there fit that made them the most packable shoes ever. Plus, they're comfy right out of the box. That means more comfort and less baggage. Experience how Allbirds is redefining comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S.com, code SUPER24.